Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today we hit another request. This one came through our Facebook page from Addison. Bone Tomahawk from 2015, starring our uh, favorite Kurt Russell. You like Kurt Russell, Craig? I do like Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I think, what, what do the kids say today? He's a snack. <laughs> you think you could say that in a more sultry voice? I, uh, I, I didn't quite. I don't think you made your point clear enough. <laughs> no, I do like Kurt Russell. He's a he's a cool guy. Uh, yeah, me too. I've always loved him. Uh, maybe not as much as you, but I've always loved him. <laughs> All right, so we were very happy to review Bone Tomahawk. I hadn't actually heard of this one before. It it's only been um, four years. <laughs> <laughs> since it came out, directed by S. Craig Zoller. Now, S. Craig Zoller is also known for doing uh, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Yeah, he did that one after Bone Tomahawk. Usually those, one, those ones come first. <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> but I think this guy's actually more prolific than his IMDb page would say. He's written like over 40 screenplays he's several novels that have been published uh it just so happens that most of the stuff that he's written has not uh come to fruition in production a lot of it's been optioned by a-list actors he likes to joke that most of the a-list has passed through a lot of his scripts in hollywood but for one reason or another things just fall through so he wrote this one with the intention of directing it put a team together wrote this clearly got a lot of a-list actors interested because we have quite a few names in this one. Oh my gosh yeah and uh and i really enjoyed watching this movie uh it is two hours and 12 minutes which at first gave me pause me too craig and i don't like to watch long movies yeah. but in this case i thought it really worked because uh it was it was almost like sitting down to watch a, a john wayne western it, it's a western by the way a it western. Is, yeah it definitely is. I would actually say that it's more of a western than it is a horror movie. I I don't know. I'm I feel a little bamboozled, Addison. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Addison. <laughs> no, I mean it it certainly has horror elements, but in the first 10 minutes and the last 20 minutes of uh the movie beyond that it's really more of a western and it is it is good and like you you know i saw two hours and 12 minutes or whatever it is and i was like oh it's so long but i it didn't feel really that long but i did read in the trivia it it said something along the lines of the final film is wholly representative of the first draft of the script and I thought, yep, kind of seems like it. Like, ah. I, I, I kind of felt like they could have trimmed it by about a half an hour. Really? And it, it, yeah. I mean, not, well, they not because anything that was going on was, you know, terrible or, or super boring, but I didn't necessarily need big, long conversations about the flea circus. Actually, Aww. the flea circus was kind of one of the sweeter moments of the movie. But there were there were other, you know, conversations and stuff that went on that I'm like, this would have been a really good deleted scene. <laughs> <laughs> something to go back and look at later <laughs> right and 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 i'm i'm being harsh it, it wasn't bad nothing in it well there were a couple of cringy acting moments i thought just a couple overall i thought it was 
it was well done. I thought that it could have been cut a little bit for time, but overall, I understand why it was recommended. Uh, I don't think it was a bad movie. I think there was a lot of talent that went into this, and so you'll see as we go through it. I'm not going to be super critical because I, I really did end up enjoying it, and it didn't feel super long, and it didn't feel like a waste of my time, so um, I'm not going to give it too much crap for, for being a little bit long. Well, I'm just going to disagree with you just a little bit. I mean, I, I understand the points you're making, and I see what you're making, but uh, this would have been a very different film if it had been cut down and trimmed to the bare minimum yeah it would have been very much like many horror films we see uh but uh you know actually this was addressed by the in something i read i don't know i was reading somewhere online about this and the writer director s craig zoller said that uh, there were distributors and and money people who wanted him to do a 90 minute version of this you know and he said i didn't i wasn't interested in doing a 90 minute version filled with heavy metal even though i'm a heavy metal fan. <laughs> you know, he, he wanted a, a Western, a, a Western with horror elements, a horror Western. And I felt like watching this, I was getting a little bit of an Eli Roth vibe. I'm thinking of maybe the first Hostel, where quite a bit of story goes by before you get to the horror elements. And then suddenly, bam, at the end, you know, the last 30 minutes is super brutal and super shocking. That's true. I felt like that was this movie a little bit, but also I just, I enjoy, I don't know, I just really enjoy Westerns too. And I felt like this one at its core was so classic Western. In fact, some of the characters in here are really throwbacks to particular characters in the John Wayne Westerns. Um, I'm thinking specifically of, of Rio Bravo, the uh, character that, who's the guy? Chicory. Oh, yeah, he was great. Richard Jenkins played him yeah. and he was he's been oh, he's been in a bazillion things, but he played the dad in the American remake uh Let Me In. He was also in Cabin in the Woods. He was one of the two scientists. Very recognizable and and I I liked him a lot. He was good and he was sweet and he did the the little um flea circus bit that you're talking about. I've been thinking a lot. About that flea circus. Remember the one that come into Bright Hope? Well, I don't know what your opinion is, but uh, my wife said it was all a trick. You know, even when those brothers give us those magnifying glasses and we, uh, we saw those fleas pull that little stagecoach right into the depot or, or roll uh, those cannons, those tiny little cannons onto the battlefield. <laughs> she said... Those fleas are dead. They're just glued to some mechanical contraption, you know, that uh, that moves on its own, like a a timepiece or a a wind-up. Still, I thought it was real. And I told her, I said, don't talk so loud. The performers will hear you. You know, he really called back uh, a guy named Walter Brennan, who was almost like a sidekick to John Wayne and probably like about a dozen John Wayne movies in the same way that he played this sort of... Yeah. I want to say sidekick, but, you know, he's the guy that makes Kurt Russell look really good. Yet he's just friendly and mm-hmm. he's there and he's a- amiable and affable. Uh, and he's there to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but also to kind of keep everybody else happy and going and kind of push. Mm-hmm. And and very much like Walter Brennan was in those old Western movies who played more of like a hickish character in those. But, but but you know, it was it's the same kind of feel. And I thought that that buddiness really worked well. Oh, yeah. How Kurt Russell sometimes 
sometimes you even forget he's there and it's okay you know because he when he is there he's a strong commanding sheriff it just Mm -hmm. again sort of in the same way that john wayne was he didn't have to be out front and boisterous he just was a presence when he was on screen that always reminded you oh yeah this guy's still in charge (laughs) well it was it was cute you know like uh kurt russell like you said he plays kind of the hard-nosed sheriff and and that's not to say that he's unfeeling or unsympathetic he's not you know he is a a sympathetic character and and he does have emotion but it's almost like chicory is kind of like the little sympathetic simple angel on his shoulder oh there you go that's a good way of putting it. It's it's really cute. Chicory's an older guy. You know, Sheriff Hunt, Kurt Russell, refers to him very affectionately as old man, you know, yeah. most of the time. And, and he's the backup deputy. <laughs> yeah, he's the backup deputy, but he's so devoted to his duty, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, it was really cute. I liked him a lot and and I liked that dynamic between the two of them in fact I thought that the dynamic between all of the characters was really endearing even some of the characters who weren't on their own particularly endearing I'm thinking specifically of the character played by Matthew Fox Bruder Mm -hmm. he was kind of a dick but yeah he was within the context of this group of guys he played a part, you know, like like they were a, a part of a gang, you know, like they needed one kind of jerky kind of guy. But but he also served a purpose. He was also really efficient. You know, he was a sharpshooter and he got stuff done. And, and so he served his purpose. I, I thought that the chemistry between the characters was really good. Yeah, the balance is really quite good, especially that posse that eventually goes out because you have Kurt Russell, who's the law. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's going to lead the group, but also with a certain sense of right and wrong. Chicory, like you said, is like the angel on his shoulder, and he's more yeah. the moral center of the group. And he's the one constantly sort of reminding people what's right. Yeah. And it's interesting because you really, um, you wonder early on, like, why is this guy here? Like, he's going to be the first to go. All right. Because he's got a limp, he's older and all that, but he has a role to play, and it's not physical. It's to be that guy. And then... Like you said, but, he's, but but hold up, he's not worthless oh, he's either. Got, you know, like no, 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 no he, no. Can, he can pull his own when when the stuff starts to go down. He does, but that's not immediately obvious. You know, when when they right. start out, right? Right. Um, yeah. And and then, like you said, you've got Bruder, who is the cold, kind of cold blooded, chip on his shoulder guy, and he's more of the amoral type. And you know, that's sort of an acknowledgement of the whole man from nowhere trope that you find. This isn't a man from nowhere movie, but you know in restaurants you have this sense that uh, in order to get justice in the west you have to do things that are offensive to the sensibilities of the populace you know yeah. you have to cross the line because the bad guys are willing to cross the line right so you got to have somebody who's willing to cross the line but um at the end like the movie ends up holding them accountable for it you know yeah in, in the man from nowhere trope the 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 guy has to ride off into the sunset you know he can't linger in the town he can't be one of them he ends up uh dying 
in the movie. He's not the only one, but uh, he's one of the first ultimately to go, I think. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And then you have that dynamic of the guy who shouldn't be with the group, but he's obligated to be there, right? And he's going to slow them down. <laughs> and he's going to actually be kind of a problem to at least to their to their end and their goal. But nobody is going to tell him not to be there. And that is the whole reason for their going off is the husband of uh, a woman named Samantha, Arthur. And yeah. so, yeah, so we've got Arthur, we have the sheriff, we have Bruder, and we have Chicory, who go off on this adventure. But, of course, a good deal of the movie has to lead up to that. Right. Honestly, you know, this is one of the longer movies that we have reviewed in a while, and I took significantly fewer notes than mm. I usually take, because... Really, not all that much happens. You could summarize the plot of this movie in 60 seconds. Like most Westerns, by the way. <laughs> well, and and that may be. You know, I, I, I've seen some modern Westerns. I grew up in a rural area. My family were country folk, and they were big into Westerns. I never really got into it, so I haven't seen a lot of them. I've seen some more of the modern ones, but... And you and I watched Ravenous and reviewed it, and, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. But I don't maybe know as many of the tropes as you do when it comes to Westerns. But the way that the movie starts out is you've got these two guys, and they're, they're, they're bandits. Um, you've got Purvis, who's played by David Arquette, who was also in Ravenous, by the way, and uh, Buddy, who's played by Sid Haig, who keeps popping up in all these movies that we review. Just last week. (laughs) Yeah. I I guess their deal is that they are robbers and with no moral compass. Like, they will just kill people in their sleep and then rob them of whatever they have on them. And that's where it opens. They have killed these guys, these these sleeping men. And, and you know, this is a good way to open this movie with these two guys. Because, of course, these guys are going to stumble upon the main bad thing. But right. these guys really lay out for us the danger, right? Yeah. That these other characters are going to face throughout the whole movie. And that is, while you're on this trek across the Old West you fall asleep or you go on this trail, you know, it's a scary place out there and there are people just like this who will come up to you in your sleep and just kill you and take your stuff. Right. And so I thought it was really actually pretty clever to start out this movie with two of these characters getting us on their side and their point of view and even humanizing them in a way. I mean, they're affable with each other. They're very nonchalant about what they're doing. Right. I think it's important because Westerns are a little tricky territory to delve into nowadays because a lot of our Westerns in the past were about... The Indians. Uh It's the white man against the Indians, and the Indians are the bad guy, and they're savage, and they're going to come, and they're going to steal your women, and they're going to kill people. And so when they're going out across the West, that's the danger, right? These other people, and they've been so demonized in film that it's very clear that the director here has taken great lengths to, to not be that kind of movie. And so by having these two white guys be the brigands that are out there and very nonchalantly, just like the guy next door, having these conversations with each other, doing their thing, except their thing is coming up to people in the middle of their sleep, sleep, cutting their throats, you know, shooting them in the head and taking all their stuff and then wandering off to the next thing. I I thought it was really smart, you know, to do this. Yeah. And both of these guys, I mean, David Arquette and Sid Haig are both... I just like them both so much. You know, they're just real, they're both really charismatic and and they play old west vagabonds 
really well. They make slitting throats and shooting people in the head amusing. There are 16 major veins in the neck, and you have to cut through them all. There ain't 16. My uncle had an acquaintance with a man who used to be a doctor, and that's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was thinking that they were going to be around. Do you hear that? This one's a gust. That's a real musical gust. And? It's ominous. This is not the time for womanly imaginings. Go. And they come across, you know, it's all desert and mountainous, and they come across this area where they start seeing, at first, animal skulls like mounted in rocks and then eventually human skulls and then what appears to be what looks like an Indian burial ground, like a smaller version of what you see in Pet cemetery, you know, like mounded rocks and those types of things. They're hearing these weird howls and things and eventually uh, Buddy Sid Haig is like, well, if you're out there, come and get us. And then he just immediately gets shot right in the throat with uh, an arrow. Um, and he's dead. And um, Purvis, David Arquette, takes off. And then it cuts to 11 days later, and we are in the lovely small western town of Bright Hope. Looks very clean and new. And this is where, you know, in the next 10 minutes, we are introduced to all of our characters. And the first one we're introduced to is somebody you've already mentioned, Arthur, who is played by Patrick Wilson, who's been in a bazillion things. Look him up if you don't know. He's been in a million things. What we learn about him is that he's this young, up-and-coming guy. Uh, He tells the sad story about how he was working his way up in this... I don't know what it was. Was it mining? Was it farming? I'm not sure either. I don't know. I'm not sure what it was, but he was, you know, he was a a low guy on the totem pole, but he had just worked his way up to the point where he was going to be like supervisor or something. But then he, he broke his leg. Yeah. Now the the group that he was working with has moved on and has taken with them most of the men of the town. So the town is very sleepy right now. It's mostly wives and families of this crew or whatever it is that has moved on to do other work but he's very disappointed because he's lost his opportunity or whatever but luckily to ease his disappointment he has a smoking hot wife (laughs) (laughs) named samantha played by lily simmons and she uh takes care of him in more ways (laughs) than one. (laughs) (laughs) But she's also like, I don't know, she's... The town doctor, or at least the doctor that's available right now. Or a nurse or an aide or something. You know, she's got medical expertise. And then we go to the town pub where we meet Bruder, whose name is very fitting because he's kind of this broody guy played by Matthew Fox from Lost and lots of other things. And there are just so many pop-up people in this. Like, there's a piano player in the bar played by James Tolkien, who was the principal in the Back to the Future movies. Like, Mm -hmm. I recognized him immediately. Um, And then 
Chicory, who is we've already talked about, and Sheriff Hunt, the Kurt Russell, and and you know, as much as this is a western and a horror movie, eventually in these first twenty minutes, I was thinking, is this a comedy? There is quite a bit of humor, and Chicory Richard Jenkins is really funny, but in hindsight, it just seems very natural. It doesn't seem like, oh, hardy har slapstick comedy. It just seems like this is the kind of guy he is. Yeah. Chicory is just kind of like the the down-home folksy kind of guy. Yep. Like, he seems simple. And it almost seems like the sheriff is kind of humoring him mm-hmm. by allowing him to be the backup deputy. But in the end, he's not. He's pretty deep. Yeah. I mean, he he's a good guy and he's been through a lot and he's actually very capable You know, like, as it turns out, he has medical experience from the military. He has military experience. You know, it's just these very subtle things, but that they make a point of showing that, you know, he visits his wife's grave every day, and he brings her flowers, and he talks to her. And while it may seem a little bit simple, it's also just very sweet and very endearing. To me, he was the most endearing character yeah, in the whole movie. For I sure. mean, you're just kind of <laughs> in love with him by the end. Like he's like your grandpa mm-hmm. who you would never expect to be so wise and and so experienced and and so capable and uh, Richard Jenkins did a really great job with that. I agree. And that's pretty much it, you know, th- so we meet all these people and then Purvis shows up in town, which kind of sets up the events that lead to, you know, the journey of the movie. Yeah, he um he basically is seen by Chicory, I think. No, no, no. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah by no, Chicory. That's right. Outside the town burying his bags. And so, and then he comes in and has a drink at the bar, and uh, Chicory comes back and says, you know, Sheriff, there's a mysterious stranger coming to town, and Kurt Russell's like, all right, well, I guess we better go check it out, and so they go to the bar, and Kurt Russell's pretty no-nonsense. I mean, you know, I think that this really sets him up as a strong, clever guy, uh, his first confrontation with this man, because, you know, on the face of it, it's just a guy who wandered in wanting a drink. Uh, but, uh, you know, Chicory has seen the suspicious thing, so he's going to push him a little bit, and pretty soon he ends up shooting him in the leg uh, and uh, dragging him off to the locker because he suspects something's, something's weird about him. So he's taken to the jail, and they call in Arthur's wife, Samantha, to help the, well, with his for, leg. They call they call for the doctor first, but the doctor's drunk. Oh, right. So then they have to get Samantha, <laughs> 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 who has just had a very... Steamy, steamy sex scene with her husband but apparently she's ready to go now <laughs> <laughs> well and her husband's pretty laid up he has uh, um well in more ways than one huh? yeah uh, right <laughs> but he got injured his leg uh broken maybe his shin broken or something yeah, uh, yeah. during a you know his previous thing and so he's clearly and it, they make very great pains to show the pain that he's in yeah. uh, with his leg. So she's tended to his leg, and she's going to go and remove the bullet from this other leg. And they call in the regular deputy, who's a young guy, who it doesn't end up being on the screen for too long. Nick, yeah. They ask Nick to watch her and their 
their prisoner, who is out from tincture of opium. She's given him a little spoonful of this stuff in order to uh, calm him down for their surgery. So uh, he's more or less out. And so they decide that they can walk out. There's a stable hand uh, who goes out to see some horses and gets immediately slaughtered. And the horses are missing, and so the guy who owns the horses comes in to the sheriff and tells the sheriff, hey, these horses are missing. It's almost morning time by now, I think. Yeah, yeah. And they investigate the horses, and they do see that the horses are missing. They do see that this guy's been killed. They're not sure if it's by an animal or what. And then somebody comes and runs down and says that the whole sheriff's office is empty. Empty. Uh, and they go there and they find that the girl is missing and the prisoner is Everybody. missing. And yeah. yep. And then there's a arrow uh, stuck in the wall. Kind of a strange arrow. Uh, the Kurt Russell yeah. picks up the arrow and looks at it and says, mm, you know, I'm not really sure what Indians this, these might be. So we're going to get our town expert on that, who is a Native American. Mm-hmm. And so again, like this was a really cool part of the movie. And I, and like I said, it was almost a little too obvious how <laughs> the great pains they were taking to make sure this movie's not too racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What they're really trying to do is set up from the beginning that the bad guys here are not Indians. And so they all meet up in the bar. It's just everybody we've seen so far pretty much gathers together and they call in this guy and uh, he looks at it and he knows exactly what this is. There's only one group that hunts with these. Who? They don't have a name. What kind of tribe doesn't have a name? One that doesn't have a language. Cave dwellers. You know where they are? I have a general idea. You'll take us to them? I won't. Because you're an Indian? Because I don't want to get killed. You're afraid of your own kind? They're not my kind. They're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals that rape and eat their own mothers. Well, what are they? Chagodites. What do they look like? Man like you would not distinguish them from Indians, even though there's something else entirely. Bruder, at some point here, when they decide they're all going to ride out and uh, find these guys and rescue Samantha, Bruder says he wants to join the party too because he feels responsible. He's the one who came to uh, get Samantha. Plus, I've killed more Indians than probably anybody else in this room. And the Native American guy turns to him and says, well, that's a... A strange brag or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. There's there's a little bit of that back and forth, just to let us know, uh, by the way, the bad guys in this are not Native Americans. In fact, that's all we really see of Native Americans well, for the rest of this I, film. I, 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 mean, <laughs> I mean, they are, but they're, mm. they're also other. You know, yeah, like, yeah. yes, they are Native Americans, but uh, they're not your typical, you know, they're bad. You know, like just as in, you know, (laughs) the the guys from the hills have eyes are white guys, but, you know, like they're not just representative of Caucasian people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course, that's that's what I felt like. I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are kind of the hills have eyes kind of Native Americans. They're cave dwellers and cannibals. But almost from like another time. Yeah. Like they've had very little contact with civilization. They've got their own entirely own thing going. Yeah, they're nonverbal. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm. I wanted to mention we're also introduced to the sheriff's wife, uh, Lorna, who's played by Catherine Morris, who was the lead on the network television show Cold Case Forever. And you hardly see her at all, but I like her. So I wanted to 
give her a shout out. <laughs> they have a nice little scene and a couple scenes between him and her. And it's really nice that this movie takes great pains to show that relationship because it, it raises the stakes a little bit about them leaving. And that was another thing that I was really struck with by this movie. I think more so than your stereotypical Westerns tend to do. The women are not like shoved to the side or, or they're just prostitutes or they're just kind of right, receding in right. the background in this hyper-masculine story. The women are actually very much a part of this story. And and not just because it's a go get rescue the princess kind of way, right. but you're going to see all of the women who care about these men. The fact that they're leaving is a big deal to them, and they're going to be back there worrying. Well, and the and the men who are genuinely driven by their feelings for their yes, why and talk about it a lot. Yeah, while they're mm-hmm. out on the trail, this is the subject of half of their conversation. Even um, chicory who, like you said yeah. earlier, is grieving his uh, dead wife. And uh, it shows a scene of him taking the flowers to the grave. Uh, he talks about her out in on the road. And that's just not something you typically see in these Westerns, really. Right. The women are more or less kind of forgotten, you know? Yes. So, so I thought that was a really nice touch here as well. And it really made this uh, a little more relatable and just rounded out these characters so well and made you care more. And, you know, I, I thought that that was a good reason why the first part of the movie could take so long for me. I was interested in these people. I was interested in their plight. I really got to know them. I really started to care about them. And through means that I thought were quite interesting. I liked hearing these little stories and these little asides in the same way that kind of watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. Right. You know, sometimes the dialogue is part of the enjoyment, even though it doesn't necessarily advance the plot any. It's still kind of real what they're doing, and it's clever, and it's cute, and it's fun, and gets you to know these people a little more and care about them a little more. Yeah, I agree. And so everybody meets up in the bar. They talk about, you know, what they're going to do and ultimately what's decided. The sheriff says, I'm going to go and Arthur is going to go because we have to. We have no other choice. Arthur, because it's his wife and the sheriff, because he's the sheriff. He's the law. He has to go. But Chicory says, no, I want to go too. And he says, no, old man, you stay here. You know, it's almost kind of like a father-son kind of Mm. deal. You you feel the connection between these two men. Chicory obviously respects the sheriff because of his authority, but it goes beyond that. You know, you see that there is genuine affection between these guys. And, And Chicory insists, and he is an older guy, but he insists, you know, Uh, Nick, the deputy is gone. This is what a backup deputy is for. Eventually the sheriff concedes. And then Bruder says, I'm going to, I've killed more Indians than any of you combined. And it was me who took the wife there or whatever. And and so he's going to go to, so they're the ones that are going to go. I love, there was this tiny moment that's totally insignificant, totally could have been cut, but I'm glad it wasn't where the mayor and his wife barge yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> another, uh, another great example of uh, the woman, you know, the woman's place in this. It's hilarious. And, and the mayor's wife obviously just speaks for him. I don't think that the mayor had a single line. I don't <laughs> think he spoke a single word. Just at the very end, what he asked how to spell troglodytes <laughs> for the right, telegraph. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, but um, they burst in, and the mayor's wife was played by Sean Young, who, God bless her, <laughs> is 
just a washed up actress <laughs> and and will just take anything <laughs> do anything that's given to her and her performance is just almost laughable like it's so silly my favorite story about sean young it has nothing to do with this movie and anybody who's in the movie trivia will probably already know this but sean young was supposed to be in the first michael keaton batman so sean young was cast in that role but there was a horse riding sequence and when they were filming that she fell off the horse and she broke her leg or something and and they replaced her with kim basinger when tim burton said that he was going to do a new batman movie sean young wanted to play catwoman and she dressed herself up in complete full Catwoman garb and went to the studio offices where Tim Burton was working at, to, to try to lobby for this role. And Tim Burton literally hid under his desk <laughs> until they were able to get her out <laughs> of the building. <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, and that's my favorite Sean Young story. But anyway, she's funny. And her husband who only has that one line is Jameson Newlander, who was Alan Frog from the Lost Boys. He was the Frog oh. brother who wasn't Corey Feldman. I did not know that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> totally unimportant. But there you go. There's your trivia for the day. Let's be kind to Sean Young. She was Rachel in, in Blade Runner, and she was quite a quite a powerhouse oh, yeah. in that movie so oh she was yeah, it was early, years ago <laughs> early 80s you know her star was rising and then it just fell and she didn't take it very well but anyway all right so they're all gonna go out now okay two things one i think that it's totally stupid that they took this maimed guy along with them i understand why he would want to go arthur yeah i understand why he would want to go because it was his wife but I don't understand why anybody with any sense of logic would allow him to come on this treacherous journey. They barely know where they're going, and they know the sheriff says that normally this would be a five-day horse ride. But we're going to try to do it in three days. And like he even makes a big deal of, like, we got to be really careful because we could kill these horses if we're not careful. Like, it's yeah. going to be this treacherous journey. So why would they take him? I, I I don't know that I necessarily believe that. You know, ultimately it's important to the plot, whatever. Well, they could have had they could have had a scene where they're like, no, you can't go, and he'd be like, it's my wife, damn it. And then it's like, okay, well, just don't slow us down. Or, you know, they could have just acknowledged it from the beginning like they did. I feel like he was going to go no matter what. I know. I get it. I mean, I understand for the purposes of the movie why he went. I just am saying logistically it doesn't make any sense. Logistically, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Secondly, as I was watching the next at least hour of this movie... I kept thinking of that scene from Stand By Me where they're sitting around the campfire and they're talking about TV shows. And Will Wheaton says, you know that show Wagon Train? I mean, it's a really good show, but they never get anywhere. They just keep on wagon training. Like, and that, <laughs> and that like, seriously, like at least at least an hour of this movie is just them journeying. Sure. And it's, that's not to say that it's entirely boring. It's not, but like, it's just a long 
long trek through the desert. But it's not like stuff doesn't happen on this trek. Uh, All right. Well, fine. I was actually what what I (laughs) thank you, Craig. (laughs) I I was I was actually flashing back to what is not a Western, but could very well be considered a Western because it had a Western style plot, which was our um, the seven golden vampires. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and that's yeah. Um, that's almost the opposite of this movie. In that movie, they trek out, and the trek is made fairly meaningless, right? It's like yeah. they you don't really see much of their treacherous journey. They have the vampires jump out at them once, and then boom, they're there at the town. Whereas with this movie, it felt more like a real western. You know, there this is about how hard it is to trek against the west, how lonely it can be. The journey is half of the problem, right? And uh, especially because you got this guy with his leg. And as had been set up in the very beginning of the movie, it's not just these troglodytes at the end of the road that they have to worry about. It's camping up at night. They're going to get besought by brigands. And sure enough, they do. And there's one really interesting, I thought it was a great scene as well. And and this is where it feels very Tarantino-esque because Tarantino does a really good job of putting characters in situations that really show you who they are. Well, and morally ambiguous. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And in this one scene, they are waken up uh, by these two Mexican guys who approach the camp. And they didn't announce themselves, which you learn pretty early on is, is part of the uh, necessity when you're out there. Right. But um, they start talking and saying, oh, it's all right. And they throw their gun away. And while Kurt Russell is going through this very typical sort of police procedure of getting them disarmed and having them slowly approach, suddenly, bang, 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 Bruder shoots them both dead. Mm-hmm. And he says, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And he said, they are not going to be good news for us in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) You know, they're scouts from a party that wants to ambush us. And Kurt Russell's sort of like, yeah, well, I mean, maybe I kind of know that, but it's okay. He's he's more like, I could have dealt with it. And furthermore, I would like to have talked to them. Right. And he's like, no. <laughs> and it really, really bothers Chicory. Oh, he, yeah. Like, so, like they move, you know, they, they move to a different camp and don't light a fire so that they're less conspicuous or whatever. And while they're laying there, Chicory is just clearly really upset about it. And he just keeps saying, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Plus, he's, he saw, Chicory saw that one of them was wearing a crucifix, so he assumes that it was a preacher or a priest or something. And these are all religious men. Mm-hmm. He's just really, really upset about it. But then they are ambushed. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. And I, I, I feel like the movie doesn't tell you, but the implication that I got was that maybe and probably Bruder wasn't wrong. No, well, Bruder's the one who right? gets... Yeah, and Bruder's the one who gets attacked. Who is it who has to shoot the guy off of Bruder or whatever? I don't remember which one One of them was. wakes up and suddenly, and Bruder's being stabbed in the shoulder by this guy who's standing over him, right? And very reminiscent, actually, the first scene of the, the very first scene of the movie where a guy's being held down by another guy and, and, and you know, stabbed. So, uh, yeah, so it turns out to be a very viable, very real threat. And you're right. No, I, I that's the conclusion I drew as well. But the problem with this is now all their horses are gone. Right. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, then it's just they said it's it's a two-day walk from there. And by this time, Arthur, who throughout the whole movie is kind of annoyingly holding them back, they are basically have a deal with him that, okay, we're gonna keep walking. And you can he says, Don't worry. He says, I'll walk while you sleep. They decide they're gonna sleep during the day instead of the night. Mr. O'Dwyer. 
That valley is at least a two-day walk. I'll try me. to match your pace. If I fall behind, I'll catch up when you sleep. You watch the train now. There's one bad fall, you lose that leg. Okay, no skin off our backs. We're going to lay out, you know, a path of four stones every now and then uh, while we go. And, you know, I don't know, man, like like uh, this whole Western thing is always pretty fascinating to me. Here you've got this land that stretches out to infinity. One, one guy, I think, is it Chicory, who says as they're riding early on, he says something like, well, I know the world's supposed to be round, but this part sure don't look it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then they show the horizon, and it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just flat. I'm sure they have a compass with them, you know, so they know what the yeah. general direction they're going. But I just don't know how these guys navigate on foot, let alone oh, I know. somebody can follow a trail after them, you know? It's just oh, I know. I, I can't imagine. I have remarkable. no idea. I thought the same thing. He's still kind of catching up with them every now and then as they go, but uh, his leg is getting worse. And at one point, they look at it and they say, this this leg is is bad. Like, we're going to have to amputate. Chicory, like you said, who had experience doing this during the war, says he can do it. But Arthur, uh, Arthur says, no, I don't want you to amputate my leg. And they're like, okay, well, I guess that's your choice then. You know, he says, just set it and we'll keep going. So they give him some opium and they set the leg and they take the rest and he passes out and 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 chicory tells him you're probably going to sleep for a long time um and and all the while chicory and the sheriff are you know having these asides like is he gonna make it and chicory's always just very optimistic well he's got a shot (laughs) probably not but we'll see yeah and they go off without him eventually they get there again like you said i can't imagine you know i these people had to adapt to their circumstances, so I'm sure they were just better at this than you or I would be. They didn't have GPS. They, I don't know, <laughs> navigated by the sun or the stars. or I, I don't know, but they get there, and they find this valley that they were looking for. And when they get there, they start hearing those creepy howls again, and uh, eventually they get to the cave. And th- this is where it finally to me started to feel a little bit like a horror movie i mean it still (laughs) felt very much like a western but there were definite horror elements going in here these people who whoever they are they communicate non-verbally and they communicate with these inhuman shrieks Like they're so loud that it seems impossible that a human being could make this noise. And the men figure out immediately when they start hearing it, oh, these are, you know, they've spotted us. These are warnings. They're communicating that we're here. And so they know that they're there. You know, they get to the spot where there's all the skulls and the rocks and stuff, just like we saw in the beginning. And Bruder goes in first. They get to where they can spot the cave. And just um, like they're talking about what they're going to do and then just out of nowhere, they're ambushed. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the sheriff gets an arrow in, in the, the shoulder. Yeah. I don't remember if Chicory got anything. At the, oh, yeah. It, an arrow shoots his hat off and takes off just a tiny little part of his scalp. 
Um, like it just missed him. Bruder doesn't get shot, but when he goes to reach for his weapon, his arm gets chopped with a bone tomahawk. There you go. Nope. Because <laughs> they have these, they have these bone tomahawks, which are very effective. Yeah. And his arm gets about chopped off and they kill a few of them. Bruder is, um, you know, significantly wounded. And, and he says, supply me with dynamite. And don't return until I've used it. I'm far too vain to ever live as a cripple. He ends up taking another one out. And there are a couple of moments throughout the movie. Like, there's this moment. There's one moment after they get ambushed when Bruder's horse doesn't get stolen because he says it's too smart to get stolen by a filthy Mexican. But because they, the Mexicans couldn't steal it, they maim it, and then Bruder has to shoot his horse. And in that moment, and in this moment when he realizes he's going to die, he cries. Yep. There's also a moment when Patrick Wilson, earlier in the movie, is saying grace. And he weeps, you know, thinking about his wife. Again, I'm not as familiar with the Western genre as you are, but I can only imagine that that's atypical. Yeah, pretty much is. <laughs> to show these men showing that kind of emotion. And I appreciated it. I actually thought that Patrick Wilson's crying scene was a little bit overwrought. But in this moment when Bruder knew that he was going to die, I I believed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was he was crying and and I believed it. And he does. You know, he takes out, you know, the the natives come and uh throw a bone tomahawk at him and it goes right into his head, but in in the meantime, he's able to take one of them out too. But ultimately they end up getting captured and and very quickly. Yeah. You know, I expected this to be more of a, you know, kind of back and forth kind of thing but no like they are just captured very quickly and they're taken and they're put in cages samantha is still there uh in a cage and nick is still there in a cage samantha tells them that the drifter has already been eaten and then we get what is surely the most gruesome moments of the whole movie Right. I mean, I was I was a little bit shocked. (laughs) I was really shocked that this movie was going to go there, you know, and again, that's where I felt again, like a kind of Eli Roth vibe to it. Yeah, it's really disgusting. They pull out the deputy, the young deputy, Nick, and, uh, you know, he's crying and he's screaming. They strip him down right there in front of the rest of them in the cage. They're in these cages in the Uh cave and uh, they Cut him up, flip him over. Cut him up. Well, they... I was gonna, I was gonna say, come on, you got to be more descriptive than All that. All right, I mean, so it it's like brutal. it's like a Mortal Kombat fatality, basically. <laughs> they flip him over. One person's got each of his legs, uh, and they're holding him up uh, upside down by the legs. Yeah. And the guy with the tomahawk comes down the middle and starts hacking between his legs until they can pull him apart lengthwise. So yeah, it's pretty gross and uh, really brutal. And this happens in front of all of them. Yeah. And then they're just like snacking on his legs like it's a chicken leg or something, you know, in front of them. Meanwhile, Arthur has woken up and is making his way there. So we kind of see that. But uh, they also there are moments between the prisoners now mm-hmm. where they talk and the sheriff and Chicory still have they they took some of the opium with them. 
um, in a flask. And they think that they can poison some of the natives. Well, first of all, they ask her, Samantha, how many there are. And she estimates about 12 men. And she says there are also two women, but they're blind cripples. And we see them later and it's so gross and disgusting. Like, Like they are obviously just incubators like it's it's just yeah their eyes have been put out they have two a stake in each eye and then their their limbs have been cut off yeah it's disgusting it's really gross so they do i mean they they play a little trick like they pretend they're fighting over the whiskey or whatever and the cannibals take it and and a couple of them drink it and she says one of them will die. One of them will be out for several days. One of them won't be affected at all. And she says, so there's about seven left or five left. I don't know. Yeah. Then we get another scene with Arthur who is like totally debilitated, but manages to take out like five guys. He, he turns <laughs> out to be the most capable after all. And really the key to their success here at the end. So pretty good thing that they brought him along most capable is not even fair like these guys like he's just laying on the ground (laughs) these guys just keep running up to him and he keeps shooting them well he's smart enough to have himself backed up against like a like a like a rock wall or something like that so at least they can only approach from one spot plus you're right these guys they don't seem that concerned with getting to him because they're like oh he's shooting at me well i'll break out my bow and arrow oh he shot my arrow apart i guess i better walk towards him and then as he comes towards him he's able to reload his gun in the meantime and shoot him so yeah yeah, they don't seem quite as brutal and as quick when they're with him as they did with the others right exactly but the key is that he sees that there's something in their throat and i thought this was an interesting touch because there is that question like how are they making that ungodly noise right Uh, and he sees that what they've done is they've taken like a piece of bone almost like a uh, a vertebrae or something and fashioned it into a kind of whistle yeah it's like the thing that the velociraptors have Mm -hmm. in jurassic park yeah and put it and put it in their necks. So he cuts this out of one of their necks, and then he uses it to trick them. So he bl- he blows through it and makes a sa- that sound, and they jump out of the bushes or start running down the the way. But he's ready to shoot them as they come. So there's a little bit. He right. has a little bit more of an advantage than the other guys did have uh, in this spot. True. But how he manages to crawl his way all the way up to the uh, cave, which is in the side of a cliff. I'm still kind of wondering how all that went down. Yeah. The movie doesn't show it, us that part. It, it, no, it's unexplained. <laughs> One of the most heart-wrenching moments for me is the cannibals figure out that they have been tricked with this poison. When they had been done with it, they had taken the flask and they had thrown it in the ashes of the fire, the embers, and it was still burning. And they pull the sheriff out and they they knock him out sort of and then they slice open his abdomen and they shove that burning hot flask inside him and they do other things too and the reason that it was so heart-wrenching to me is because when nick was getting killed the sheriff had said to him nick the calvary's coming they'll be here soon we're gonna get out of here And Chicory had said later, is that true? And he said, no, I just made it up. And why why would you make that up? And he said, because if that were happening to me, that's what I would want to hear. And when the cannibals start mutilating and, you know, apparently killing him, Chicory does the same thing. He's like, I'll avenge your death. I'll avenge... (sighs) 
I mean, it sounds, it probably sounds stupid to those of you out there listening, but you just get the sense that there was really an affection between these men and for him to try to comfort him in this most brutal and horrible of moments. it touched me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you were just sad to see Kurt Russell get hacked up. Oh <laughs> uh, no! I, you know, I he died a, a hero, a and, and like you, you don't even see him die because, as you said, Arthur somehow gets himself up this cliff wall that the rest of them had to be pulled up on ropes by. But he somehow gets up there and he takes out you know, a couple of them. And then Kurt Russell takes out the big scary one with tusks. So, you know, all the survivors are there. They know that there are still a couple of the cannibals left. And uh, Arthur says to the sheriff, are you, sheriff, are you going to make it? And he says, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's very clear like, on are that. You, are you sure? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Backup deputy, I'm giving you this duty. I want you to escort them back home and i'm gonna stay here and i'm gonna do my best to take out the remaining ones because they know where our town is i'm gonna try to take them out and so they leave him and and it's obvious that chicory doesn't want to leave him but the sheriff insists and chicory and they do chicory kind of lingers and and the sheriff says a great line he says uh say goodbye to my wife and i'll say hello to yours Uh, uh. oh Here, I right? almost cried. No. I didn't, but I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great Another lot. really good case of showing without telling as they're walking away, off into the sunset, basically, uh, Chicory picks up a rock uh, to hold. Through that graveyard again. Mm-hmm. So, because like, clearly, like, oh, in case they encounter somebody, he's got something. Uh, and then uh, he hears three or four gunshots, uh, and he kind of looks back, and he tosses the rock away and goes on, which is, you know, a nice little moment to leave us with. I think it zooms in on the rock and that's the last shot of the movie. Yeah. It's the end yeah. of the movie. Like they, they, they're confident that the sheriff did what he wanted to do. You know, mm-hmm. he took out those because you hear four shots. So yep. you assume that he probably uh, got them. And so he did what he set out to do and, and they're going to be okay. And yeah, I mean, overall, I liked the movie. I, I still don't know that I would qualify it as a horror movie. Um, definitely, definitely horror elements, gruesome, brutal scenes. But it just didn't feel like that. It, it felt more like a western and more like a drama, and and that's okay. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, I I do like other kinds of movies too, and and I did enjoy this movie, and I I thought there was a lot of really good. stuff stuff going on here i thought there was a lot of talent that went into it you know talented actors beautiful scenery you know good cinematography i i think that in the end my favorite part of it was chicory and his relationship with the sheriff um, and I feel like, well, Chicory and the sheriff, I guess, combined kind of ended up being the heroes of the mm-hmm. movie for me. And, and, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed the fact that Arthur's wife, Samantha was a, a tough woman. She wasn't a damsel in distress. 
she, she yeah she happened to get captured but that didn't change the fact that she was a tough broad yeah and i liked that there there was a lot going on that i really really liked it was a little long um but overall uh i thought i thought it was a a quality movie. Well, it was a great ride, and, and I at least got to watch this movie when I wasn't super tired. Like, sometimes I end up watching these late at night, yeah. and I'm kind of fading away. I'm really glad that I watched this movie in the middle of the afternoon. It was the perfect middle-of-the-afternoon movie when you've got time and you want to sit down and have an experience. Because, like you said, the characterizations are just great. The story is great. It does take its time with it, but it's very Western, you know, in that way. It has those horror elements at the end. And, uh, and I, I also, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I'll be recommending this movie to other people. To sum up my thoughts on it, I'm, I'm going back to Addison's message to us. And she actually said, it may not be a traditional horror movie, but it's certainly horrifying and a breath of fresh air for both the horror and Western genres. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I can't think of a better review. Well, thank you, Addison, for your recommendation. We love the movie. If you have a request, you can find us online, either on Facebook. Uh, just search for Two Guys and a Chainsaw, and you'll get our page. You can send us a private message, or you can post there, and that's where we usually get most of our requests from. You can also go to our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where you can find all of our episodes, our past episodes, available for streaming and download. You can also leave a comment there as well. Also, by the way, we don't ask for this usually ever, but uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, not only could you share it with a friend, but you could go out and review it. If you don't like the podcast, please don't. But yeah. uh, <laughs> go to iTunes or Stitcher or, or wherever your favorite, wherever you're getting your podcast from, and let the, everybody else know what you think of us, because I think that probably helps us get out to a wider audience. I don't know, uh, maybe it doesn't, but that's just uh, just my suspicion. Until next time, I'm Todd and I'm Craig with two guys and a chainsaw. Mm-hmm.